0: unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in.
1: Well, Aaron, we are here in the fifth Sunday in Lent, and uh, I am just... can't wait for Holy Week. I don't know about you, but I'm, you know holding on to my horses. How are you doing?
2: Uh, Jonah Wright recording this from well, um, I mean, in the very early parts of land. So, uh, who knows where we'll be when this, uh, comes out, where we'll be with, um, the pandemic, where we'll be with life, but I can guarantee you that wherever we are, uh, we will be people who are in need of hope. So hopefully we can give them a little, Absolutely.
1: Bit, of, little bit of that. Well, I love, I love the, uh, the uh, collect for the fifth Sunday of Lent. It is the finest collect probably in the prayer book. And uh, it reminds us that in the midst of all of this, uh, that um, only God can bring to order the unruly wills and affections of sinners.
2: Yeah. And it just the fact that it can, I always believe like the collect are like these stealth bombers that you never see coming and they bring mm. in some gospel truth. Like just the fact that our wills are unruly, which means that they are You say. um, unruly we think of it like a child who's unruly but literally what it means it's like unrulable like you cannot cannot restrain them uh and so Mm -hmm. to say that our wills and affections are unruly it it means that's that's why you get frustrated with yourself when you self-sabotage your own relationships or do things that you know like you know you track your calories for five days and then the sixth day you're like i'm gonna eat the whole pizza myself so um (laughs) We, are, we have these unruly wills and affections, and you know that goes against what we normally think of how we see ourselves, uh, but this is some good theological instruction that comes straight from the collect. Um, and if you can realize that you are unruly, it's like step one of AA, I'm, my, I'm, my life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to change it. And so we ask God to make us, to give to us the grace that we would be people who, who actually like to do what God says. And want what God promises, because on our own mm. we don't. It's just a—it's just a beautiful, incredible collect. So, yeah, I'm Indeed, with you. Yeah. It is—it's written by Thomas Cranmer. It was all original to him, and it is straight fire. And uh, I mean, I could preach on that, but I won't. We're going to preach on or talk about Jeremiah. Well, our readings
1: today, yeah, are yeah, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Then we have uh, Hebrews chapter five, verses five one through ten. Or chapter 5, 5 through 10, and uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. And, uh, Jeremiah is, um, this is basically, I think, the, uh, the pinnacle, the high point of the prophecy. This is, uh, the great look at the new covenant that is to come. And, uh, 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 really I think the culmination of all of the old covenants coming together Um, and uh, really I love what he says I will put my law within them you know this is the thing it's not about the outside defining the inside but rather it's the inside defining the outside and so he puts the law within them and what does he do he writes it on their heart and I will be their God and they shall be my people and this is the and this is the amazing thing I think really this 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 particular uh, prophecy gets at the heart of humanity's problem, and that is unbelief in God. And so, uh, Jeremiah says, No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, saying... Uh, And and greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the thing, you know, the world now, because of Jesus, knows that there is a God. They know that there is a God from the least to the greatest. Now, they may not believe... What God has done for them in Jesus, and now we've come to the crux of the problem. But the the pro, the issue is: is no longer shall anyone teach one another or say to each other. That's that's what um, that's what Jeremiah's point is: is that uh, the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ has gone forth to the very ends of the earth. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think this passage uh, highlights the fact that Christianity, because it's is a prophecy about Christ, that Christianity is something new. And different. It says this is not like the covenant that the ancestors broke. It is not a
1: specifically the 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 mosaic covenant. Right. right. This is
2: and and a lot of people, I think, again, of all religious stripes, kinda think that that to follow God to be a spiritual person is to like follow some sort of rules to get the divine being to like you. And this is a different thing. This is,
1: um, yeah. you know. Uh, that is, yeah. but that is the Mosaic covenant. Right. I mean, yeah. 100%. It, yeah. is, it is, you do your part and God will uh, do his. And, you know, and I love as though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this covenant, I will make you know this. This is going to be different. Mm-hmm. This is going to be uh, from the. Ins- this is going to be conversion. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a conversion here.
2: And you get this promise of forgiveness, and not only that, but um, I will remember their iniquity no more. Uh, it's, it's, what's What's so interesting is that um, I keep I keep thinking about Fran Lebowitz, who's got this new series on Netflix called yeah. "Pretend It's a City." Very funny. She's very brilliant. Uh, in a previous conversation with Martin Scorsese, who is the, I think Martin Scorsese just must love friendly, with they must be great friends cause they're doing this. Aren't they
1: dating? I don't. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Have, I'm uh, just kidding. She's a lesbian. So anyway.
2: <laughs> I didn't want to say, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not I don't know. I don't know personally. So anyways, but, uh, Marty, uh, did this earlier series with her a few years ago on HBO and they're talking about forgiveness and revenge and. And she says, like, she loves revenge. She says it's not a dish best served cold. It's a bit. It's best served any temperature you can get it. Just take it any time. Yeah. <laughs> but forgiveness, she says, is Christianity. That's where the idea comes from. Um, mm-hmm. And here you get this uh, thing of forgiveness and remembering their sin no more. Most of us are like Fran. We want to hold on to our grudges and we want to get revenge uh, if the opportunity should pr- present itself. And, I mean, it feels sweet to get revenge, but But God, thankfully, is someone who forgives their sin and and knows and and will remember their their sin no more. I'm thinking about Ted Cruz, too, because we're recording this right during Cancun Gate.
1: Great, great, great Cancun Gate. That's good. (laughs) Here is the situation
2: where Ted Cruz is getting understandably criticized as he understandably criticized other politicians, from the mayor of Austin, Texas, to President Obama for taking vacations. And so now he has done the thing that he told other people not to do. And he got caught because he was recognizable, even with his mask in the Houston airport. And somebody snapped a little little pic and posted it on the uh, Twitter and everything went to hell in a handbasket real quick. And so um, and whenever Ted Cruz runs for office again, people will not forget his sin. They will remember this and they will bring it up in debates, in campaign commercials. The world is not like God who says, I will remember your sin no more. We're Like, Oh no, we will remember. We will not ever let you forget Teddy. C. Yeah. And, um, but I, and I think, you know, I, I get that, but every single person, and this is not partisan. Like, I think you could, you can find this on both sides of the aisle. Um, Every person well, who's criticizing Absolutely. Mr. True. Like it's, happening,
1: it's happening right now in New York with Governor yeah, Cuomo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, and, so,
2: and, and every person listening to this has, at some point in his or her life, done a thing that they knew was not maybe the best idea and wouldn't look great. Maybe not wrong. Maybe not an actual moral violation or a sin. But you knew it wouldn't look great. Like if somebody has invited you to lunch and you make up an excuse as to why you can't go and then a friend that you like more invites you to lunch. You're like, yeah, let's go to lunch, but we can't go to this place because I don't want to see so-and-so. Like that is the same thing that Senator Cruz has done, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and that we all do. And so anyways, what what I'm saying, my point is that we tend to remember sins a really long time, but God doesn't. Um, which is really good news because, on some level, we are—we're all Senator Cruz. We've all done these things, and it—that's it, right. Yeah. So that's—that's that's all I'm saying.
1: So then we come to uh, Hebrews chapter five, verses five through ten. This is actually a very uh, powerful, powerful passage. Um, but weird, uh, and none
2: of your congregation will understand it. So that's why, Jake, will explain so it to you right it. now.
1: Skip it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, you know, the the point is, is that the Epistle to the Hebrews is a sermon essentially on uh, on who is Jesus. You know, you had all of these uh, you had all of these Jewish converts, and you know, it's interesting the way this uh, this this epistle is actually written. Um, there's a lot of implication here that this is actually written before the destruction of the temple. The language here. You know, because they are speaking of, like, sacrifice and tangible things as if they are actually present right now. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden you have these Jewish converts and they're like, wait a minute, uh, you mean all we need is a, a sermon and a little bit of bread and wine? You know what I mean? It just seemed so, so regular, you know, compared to what was going on with temple worship. And so, but the question was, is you had Jesus as, so they were looking for a Messiah to be three things, a prophet, a priest, and a king. And clearly Jesus met the prophet role. Clearly he met the king role. But how did he meet the priestly role, you know? And so there is this conversation of this fellow named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek shows up um, basically twice in the Old Testament. There's one, he's the king of Salaam, and he rolls up uh, with, um, to Abraham with bread and wine. Like out of the and, blue. Out of the blue with bread and wine, you know what I mean? If this isn't about Jesus, it makes no sense. And uh, they, uh, they have a meal and uh, the king blesses Abraham. Um, And then uh, he is mentioned in the Psalms by King David. He says, you know, your son will be a priest of the order of Melchizedek. And so now this is coming in. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, is that Jesus is basically the priest that brings validity to the entire Levitical priesthood. Uh, The Levitical priesthood does not bring validity to Jesus, but Jesus, through the order of Melchizedek, brings Validity to the Levitical priesthood now. Why is that because Melchizedek when he rolls up? He's not only the king of Salaam, but it says that he's the priest of the most high God um, which is Yahweh, he's the priest of the Most High God, and so. But how is he? Well, he's been appointed, and so Hebrews right here, the author is making this argument that Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest because back then they were all petitioning to be high priests. You know, it was a, it was an, or it was a, it was a position you jockeyed for, unfortunately, um, and uh, but instead. It was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son. So the, basically, the big idea is, is that Jesus from the tribe of Judah is appointed. Appointed by God and that even King David was looking for this priest forever in the order of Melchizedek Now now you come to the second part and you got to understand that context in order to what's going on Because here it goes in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death and uh, he was completely uh, reverent in his submission. So, a.k.a., this is how you are just, you are um, declared righteous before God because of Jesus's prayers and supplication, his uh, living his life in total reverence, submission. And it goes. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is the aspect of the Son of Man. You know what I mean? This is the aspect of the humanity, the human nature of Jesus, because he is like us in every way without sin. And this would have blown everybody's mind away, and it would still blow everybody's mind away today. That um, what if God was one of us? Indeed, he was one of us. He became one of us in Jesus, and has been made, made being made perfect. He became. the the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Not little jot and tittle rules, but believe in his name. And uh, this is what it's all about, because he's a priest according to to Melchizedek. I just preached a sermon. I didn't mean to dominate like that, but uh, I love the book of Hebrews. So anyway... Yeah, it's But a- that is, the, that's the point. Never think that you can relate to Jesus in every way. I've, I've heard some idiot preacher the other day uh, <laughs> talk about it. He's like, you can relate to Jesus because he's a man. No, 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 no. That wouldn't be impressive to the Hebrews, and that's not impressive today. What's really impressive is, is that uh, God actually knows you, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he can relate to you in every way, yet without sin, and that's what makes him your Savior
2: what was the name of that preacher that you heard? Just kidding.
1: Uh, I'm not going to
2: (laughs) say. Tried to get you. Uh, yeah, I
1: think, uh, I could tell, I could give you hints. No, I'm just kidding. Uh,
2: so Melchizedek means king of righteousness or righteous king. So, Mm. um, and it's not quite a theophany, but kind of maybe is like, it's definitely, I mean, it's, 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 um, the passage doesn't say this is Jesus, but it's kind of Jesus. So, uh, and it, the thing I think that always uh, kind of strikes me here is just, again, the fact that he is the source of eternal salvation. That's uh, mm. it's, it's where it comes from. Uh, there's, um, there's something uh, where the author of the Hebrews or the preacher of the sermon that then got written down and sort of was put into a letter format in the New Testament uh, is um, trying to talk about who Jesus is that's that's kind of the the opening section of Hebrews. Some people sort of think he's like an angel, or maybe he's like some kind of divine human. yeah, the, and so the first
1: two chapters are all about Jesus being greater than the angels, right. And then, um, but also, uh, relating to us, so chapter one is all about his greatness. Chapter two is all about him relating to us.
2: Because you know, the, in the ancient world, there's there's not anybody that's like Jesus. Like you either have things like if you're a Greek, you have people like Apollo or people that are ha- like literally half god, half human, because Zeus came down and uh, committed mm-hmm. sexual assault, or uh, there are in in kind of um, Judaic thought, you've got uh, prophets who are, you know, given to say things from God, but they are not God. And the idea that God would be incarnated or anything like that is just anathema. And so you have this Jesus who, who's just, who blows apart everybody's categories. He is fully human, but he is fully divine. And so that's what this speaker is trying to communicate. And the the reason this, uh, one of the many reasons this just preaches, as Jake, you said, it's God becoming like one of us it's about the incarnation so he can relate to what we are going through uh and he's the one who has the power as this eternal priest before god to um advocate for us to mediate for us to win our salvation and all those uh all those things that mean so much so this is a, this is a story about who is jesus he's fully god and fully man He's um, this king, he's this prophet, he's this priest, you can do what we actually need. The The idea that he's in the order of Melchizedek sounds like some arcane theological Old Testament weirdness, but actually what it's saying is Jesus is from outside our normal sphere of how we think about That's God. Right. And that he is, because he's outside of that, because he is the, the one and only being who is fully God and fully human and gives himself for us, um, that's, he is the savior that we need. That's the point of being of the order of Melchizedek. Good. Well, well, thank you for evaluating me highly on my <laughs> little sermonette. Uh, so
1: John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33, what do you think is going on there? This is very good, especially on the, uh, the edge of, uh, of Holy Week. Yeah, so the week
2: after this, dear listener, you'll be preaching a sermon or listening to a sermon on uh, Palm Sunday. And so this is getting us ready for these events, Uh, and um, Jesus in John's Gospel is about to begin the Last Supper, and he's going to have a really, really, really long conversation with his disciples that goes on for like 20,000 chapters, uh, where he'll, (laughs) in his Last Supper, and he'll talk about bread, and he'll talk about, and he'll wash feet of disciples, and he'll Talk about you're my friends and a new commandment I give you. All that stuff is getting ready to come. So, uh, but here he is at this festival in Jerusalem, and uh, there's a there's a couple of things this is pointing out as we as we get ready last Sunday in Lent, as we get ready, or not really last Sunday, like last normal Sunday in Lent. Palm Sunday is sort of its own special thing, um, where uh, you're you're getting ready for what's coming. And that's why Jesus has this conversation saying that he's, he is like a grain of wheat, like a little seed that needs to fall to the earth and die. And he says, he's basically saying, this is about me, but this is also what the Christian life looks like. The Christian life is shaped like a cross. It means death and resurrection. It means you die to yourself and your ego and you rise to new life. But the thing you also get in this passage is uh, Jesus's own humanity, and which again is something we kind of saw in the Hebrews passage where where the son of god can say my soul is troubled uh meaning i this is going to be hard and i feel it jesus didn't fake the crucifixion he didn't fake holy week he didn't fake the, the rejection and isolation and abandonment and physical pain and mental anguish all that he was about to face he knew he was going into it and so he says my soul is troubled and there's just some honesty about that and it's mm-hmm. it's a beautiful picture that the incarnation is real so if you If you preach on Melchizedek in Hebrews 5, you can talk about that Jesus is fully human. Then you can say in John 12, we see it in that he honestly says, because he's actually human, he says, my soul is troubled. And he knows that he's Mm. going to be um, going through this agonizing trial uh, a week that's a little over a week out and and the separation that he will have to endure from his father.
1: Mm. So, yeah. That's good. I mean, I think, I think a couple of things here in John chapter 12, if you want to, is uh, uh, first the, the cry of these Greek worshipers. Uh, you know, what they don't want is life tips. They didn't come to uh, meet the disciples to, you know, figure out how to manage their money a little better or, you know, how to, how to, how to like, start an activist movement. They came and they said, sir, we wish to see Jesus.
2: How do I become um, a Christian this, influencer on Instagram?
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's not what they've come to look for. They've come, sir, we wish to see Jesus. They want the gospel. They want the good news of this one who is, um, you know, and back to what you were saying earlier, you're absolutely right. In the Greco-Roman world, it was all about uh, uh men uh, becoming uh, gods. And here we have the story of a God who's become man, and they want to see him. And, uh, and Jesus answers them, and this is very important because now you see the world is all being drawn to himself. You have Greeks Uh, So uh, coming to him. So, you know, it's starting to open up and he's like the hour has come now for the son of man to be glorified A.K.A. to be lifted up. And I love this analogy right here You know, if he would have just stayed in one place, this is why while I love pilgrimages uh, You don't need to go to Israel to uh, experience the Spirit of God You know, he comes to you right where he's at because uh, he is the wheat that has fallen to the earth And uh, and now it bears much fruit. And you and I, dear listener, are the are the results. We are that fruit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and uh, it's just really, really powerful. And what this means here, those who love their life to lose it. And those who hate their life for the world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, You know, this is this is basically yeah. I mean, where is your trust? You know, that's that's what this is about. And so where is your trust? And then, as you said, uh, my soul is now troubled. And uh, here's Jesus in his humanity. And in the midst of our, our troubled souls as well, we need to hear that once again, that voice from heaven. You know, uh, this is my son. Listen to him. Um, you know, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And that is what God has done with Jesus. And by virtue of his resurrection, you can know that your troubled soul will be healed as well.
2: Amen. And I think uh, there's some compassion in this when, the fa- when Jesus says, this voice, meaning the voice of the Father, has come for your sake, not for mine. God the Father wants us to know who Jesus is and wants to assure us that he is working out our salvation. I mean, how does God feel about you? How does your congregation <laughs> think God feels about them? And what they should know is that God wants to speak a word that brings comfort He wants to say something for them, for their sake, for their benefit, which is that as Jesus heads to this agonizing trial, um, God is not out of control. God is not asleep at the switch. God knows exactly what God is doing. And Jesus, as bad as it looks, God is going to be glorifying uh, the name of of God and going to be working out this plan of salvation with Christ. And so, and Jesus is telling his people that this is a great battle that's taking place. Now is the judgment of this world and the ruler of the world will be driven out, meaning Satan. Satan is in charge of the world, <laughs> at least sort of temporarily. Um, uh, he's he's uh, running amok. And 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 uh, as we say in our baptismal Covenant, we ask people, do you uh, um, reject Forces of evil, kind of spiritual forces of evil and wickedness in the world, do you reject and renounce Satan, and, and that is the ruler of the world? And what Jesus is saying is, I'm here to drive him out, so then I can draw all people to myself. It's a, it's, it's removing the enemy, it's casting him out, and then Jesus taking his rightful place uh, to draw all people to himself. And so this, um, this is what we as Christians are invited to to realize that as people in Christ. Uh, Satan's power over us is driven out and Jesus draws us to himself. Um, So, it kind of indicates a great big cosmic thing happening behind the scenes. It looks like you're in first century Jerusalem with the Romans in power and that particular economic and political structure and, you know, that level of industrialization and agricultural systems, like all those things that are human. But there's a great cosmic battle going on, and Jesus is lifting up the curtain a little bit here and showing that what's going to happen. You think that what you see is a guy getting crucified, and yes, that is what's happening. But on the other level, what you see happening, uh, there's—I'm I, I, sort of reminded of when uh, uh, God shows the prophet all the invisible hosts of God that are, uh, you know, protecting Israel uh, and that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot more going on than than meets the eye and Jesus is letting Mm. us know that. So I think there's some word here that is, as we go into this week of the worst week of Jesus's life and the time when all is lost, Don't forget, there's a great cosmic battle that God has won and is winning and is fighting on our behalf. So all that is kind of wrapped up in this John 12 passage. And that's a word that you preach for people who feel like they are abandoned, who feel exhausted, who feel like they can't take another crisis because it's just been one thing after another. That when you see the worst things happening, God is... The angels of God and His armies of heaven are fighting on your behalf and are doing things that you cannot now see but will be revealed one day. And that happens in John 12, and that happens for us today.
1: Well, that is a good word, and I think a very good place to stop as we get ready to make our way into Holy Week.
2: Yep, so uh, tune in again next week as we tell you how to preach uh, a good sermon and advance your career as you move through uh, Holy Week and head to Easter.
1: Oh, yep. <laughs> Perfect. 100% guaranteed. <laughs> You'll have a purple shirt in no time.
0: Somebody.